Welcome to Hub & Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub & Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. This is Patrick Rao, NGI's Director of Strategy and Research, and today I'd like to talk more about one of the more frequently asked about and discussed topics during the first quarter 2023 North American natural gas earnings season, and that was underground natural gas storage. Yeah, storage. I say it like that because it's been a rather uninteresting topic in recent years. Hell, back when I was a sell-side analyst in the mid-2000s, nobody on the buy side really wanted to talk about it. And that was back before the shale revolution really took hold and seemingly drowned out all interest in pretty much everything else. The buy side is all leaders now, however, especially given that several publicly traded storage operators reported year-over-year increases in market rates for storage between 40 and 100% during the first quarter, and for longer contract terms, too. Results like that are certainly attention-grabbing. But the growing interest in and demand for natural gas storage doesn't change the fact that working gas capacity in the lower 48 U.S. has barely budged over the last decade, inching from 4.75 TCF in 2013 to just 4.80 TCF in 2021, the last year of complete EIA data. That's a mere 1% increase. To put that into perspective, U.S. natural gas demand has grown more than 40% since 2013, and that has pushed the ratio of working gas capacity to quantity demanded down from 63 days in 2013 to 47 days in 2021. Quite a dramatic decline and a clear lack of response by storage providers. So what gives, and will more storage capacity come online going forward? We believe the lack of storage growth largely has been the result of the massive increase in production from shale, particularly during most of the 2010s, when producers chased growth for growth's sake and took advantage of cheap debt to do so. That not only killed forward spreads, but also removed worries from the market about a lack of supply. There just wasn't as much urgency to put gas in the ground when so much was coming out of it. Now, as for the latter question, is more storage on the way? I will address that here shortly, but please allow me to give just a brief overview about the space, especially since I believe it's one of the least covered aspects of the North American natural gas value chain. Our podcasts at NGI tend to have a general and an increasingly growing global audience, so my apologies in advance to you industry veterans out there, but please bear with me for maybe five minutes or so first just to go over a few basic industry statistics and terms. We'll start out with just splitting the type of capacity of a gas base versus working capacity. Total storage is comprised of two components, base gas and working gas. Base gas is simply the minimum level a particular storage facility must have to ensure there's enough pressure to facilitate withdrawals, while working gas is the portion that is marketable. Think of working gas capacity as being similar to pipeline operational capacity, and this is the type of capacity for storage that I'm going to be focusing on the rest of this podcast. Now, there are three different types of underground storage fields, those coming from depleted fields, aquifers, and salt domes or caverns. 
Institute's. Using EIA data from 2021, which are the most recent data available, we estimate that there are 328 depleted storage fields in the U.S., the lower 48, rather. Those account for 81% of the total working capacity volume, and those are spread over 26 different states. Aquifers, there are 47 of those, taking up 8% of the total working gas capacity. But those are limited to just 11 states, and most of those are in the Midwest. Finally, we've got salt domes, caverns, 37 facilities of those. Those are 10% of working gas capacity, but those are limited to seven states. So more on that. Salt domes may only have 10% of the total capacity, but they have the highest deliverability and injection rates, enabling them to provide several complete cycles or turns per year. This is extremely desirable. And because of this, the EIA actually separates salt from non-salt capacity in its highly anticipated weekly natural gas storage report, although they only break this out in one region, the South Central. And why is that? Because salt formations only underlie a limited portion of the United States, which has led to 98% of salt storage capacity being in just four, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama, Gulf Coast region. This type of flexibility is more suited for activities requiring quicker response times, such as gas-fired electric generation, trading activity, and LNG exports. In fact, several industry pundits estimate that 90% of incremental natural gas demand in the United States through the end of the decade will be centered in Texas and Louisiana. So for that reason, we believe salt caverns will lead the growth in U.S. storage capacity over the next 5 to 10 years, at least to the extent that storage grows by a meaningful amount, and more on that in a moment. Another classification is what I'll call merchant versus cost of service storage. Now, I'm not actually sure that these are actual industry terms, but I've always used the term merchant storage to designate all storage capacity that is accessible by third parties, while cost of service capacity is used to ensure safety of supply for regulated utilities and to provide balancing and load management supply for regulated pipelines in order to maintain operating system integrity. So according to our calculations, and again using the 2021 EIA data, we think that roughly 60% of lower 48 working gas capacity is behind pipelines. Another 25% or so is behind utility systems, with the remaining 15% held by what I'll call hubs, or independent storage facilities that can serve multiple pipelines or consumption centers. Now, the 15% from hubs, that's generally for merchant purposes, as is a significant portion of the capacity behind pipelines. The bulk of cost of service gas is earmarked for reliability supply, but some utilities do lease this out to third parties. So overall, we estimate that perhaps two-thirds of total L48 working gas capacity is accessible to the open market. But again, we do caution that this is very much a back-of-the-envelope calculation, but it should help you frame this up a bit more. Funny, I just want to throw a few market share statistics out at you, again, using the 2021 EIA data. Kinder Morgan is the leader in working gas capacity with about 14% market share per our calculations. They're followed by TC Energy. They're just behind at 13%. Berkshire Hathaway, they come in at 11%. From there, things drop off a bit to get the number four energy transfer. They're at 5%. Then you've got companies like DT Energy, Boardwalk Pipelines, MDU Resources, Williams, 
Southern companies in CMS Energy rounding out the top 10. Now, Williams, actually, I have them at about 178 bees of working capacity. Their analyst day shows they're having closer to 300 a day. And they are including in that total fields where they have a, uh, maybe it's just a minority interest, but which they are the operator. So the total control would be a higher number. Now, that's just the total statistics. I want to focus here on salt dome capacity a bit because the breakout here is rather interesting. Now, number 11 on the overall list in terms of capacity is Hartree at about 3% share. But Hartree actually has the biggest slice of working gas capacity for salt domes and cabinet at about 25%. Enbridge is at 23%. End store is at nine, Kingdom Morgan at nine, Boardwalk, excuse me, Boardwalk Pipelines is at 8%. Overall, we estimate there are about 21 different companies that own or operate salt dome capacity in the United States. But we think that this is a number that's going to be growing going forward for reasons that we will explain. So thank you for that. With that out of the way, let's talk a little bit more now about why underground nat gas storage capacity in the U.S. is in demand. There are a number of reasons for it. For one, Ford curves are in steep contango right now, at least relative to history. Since 2009, the median or typical spread between NGI's Henry Hub Bidwick Index during summer months, which is April through October, and the following winter, which is November through March, that spread has averaged 25 cents per MMBTU. But as of this recording, NGI's Ford Look service shows the Ford Henry summer winter spread is 94 cents for the rest of the summer. And if you actually include the already expired April and May contracts, it's more like $1.14. The so-called intrinsic value of storage is quite high right now. A deeper dive of our Ford Look curve shows that current summer winter spreads in New England are more like $8 for MABTU. They range from 4 to 5 bucks in the Mid-Atlantic, and they're between 2 to $3 in the Rockies and at the Southern California border. In fact, the median summer-winter spread for the 73 Ford curves we published is $1.37 per MABTU, with the smallest being at Florida Gas Zone 3, which is $0.80, cents, although that is also quite robust. Now, lest you think that this is a short-term phenomenon, do know that spreads for the winter 2024 and 2025 are similar. So there are some opportunities right now in the Ford curves. Another reason for demand, excuse me, increased demand for storage, it's just a general increase in overall price volatility. The median annualized volatility for Henry Hub prices between 2010 and 2021 was 44%. In 2022, it was two and a half times that number at more than 100%. That is a dramatic increase. U.S. gas prices are now highly correlated with those around the globe, thanks to the U.S. building out its natural gas export industry, and more recently, because of the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. But there are other more structural factors in play as well, such as a slowdown in U.S. production growth and, well, a lack of storage growth, just to name a few. Maintenance mode among U.S. publicly traded producers is contributing quite a bit to price volatility, in our view. We estimate that roughly two-thirds of U.S. production comes from public EMPs, publicly traded EMPs, and those continue to limit growth and production in favor of focusing on returns of invested capital. Remember, storage is a form of an option contract, and all financial options increase in value the greater the volatility of the underlying benchmark. 
Now, there's also the influence of recent blowout of weather events. Instances like Winter Storm Yuri and extreme heat in California during 2022 are still fresh in the minds of traders and regulators alike. In fact, we believe storage rates have been on the rise ever since Winter Storm Yuri hit in February 2021, so that's more than two years now. As an aside, Kenneth Morgan made the point that peak weather events historically result in 40 to 50 BCF a day of gas storage sendouts in the U.S. To use layman's terms, that's a hell of a lot. Yeah, I've got even more reasons for increased storage demand. Storage service as a pack stop to LNG. Things like weather, maintenance, cargo cancellations, etc. can stop the real-time LNG production chain. And that feed gas needs to go somewhere. One need only to look back to last year to see what the impact that the Freeport outage had on domestic gas prices. We believe storage demand has also increased demand for global portfolio trading purposes. U.S. storage, hey, it no longer just serves the United States, it now serves the world. LNG accounted for 10% of U.S. natural gas demand in 2022, and we think that gets to 20% by the end of the decade. Then there's the influence of Mexico. U.S. pipeline exports to Mexico averaged 5.7 BCF a day in 2022, and that could rise by another 50% by the end of this decade depending on the progress of Mexico LNG export facilities. And that's a topic I touched on my previous podcast. Mexico really has no storage of its own. Several years ago, the country intended to develop five days worth, but those plans never materialized. And even if they had, it's a far cry to what they actually need, considering that country's heavy dependence on natural gas for electricity generation and potentially growing LNG exports. Another reason? Storage is needed as a backstop to growing renewables, primarily solar and wind. I mean, we've all heard the cliche, the sun doesn't always shine, the wind doesn't always blow. In our view, until battery technology improves dramatically, the high intermittency of renewables will continue to require backup fuel. And peak gas plants are flexible and typically sit very well in the economic dispatch stack. Finally, one other potential need for storage is blue hydrogen something that the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 has made far more economic. So in all, there are a number of reasons for growing demand for U.S. natural gas storage that we think aren't just temporary but are more structural in nature. So what's next for lower 48 storage capacity? Well, per its first quarter 23 earnings call, EQT Corporation, which is the nation's largest producer of natural gas, believes the United States needs 400 BCF of additional storage capacity to handle the next wave of LNG capacity that's due to hit in 2024 and soon thereafter. Now, let's operate under the assumption that that number is the correct figure, and we have no reason to believe that it's not. We just haven't done any sort of estimate on our own. So using that 400 Bs, we estimate that that would be roughly 8% or 9% somewhere like that, of the current active total working capacity in the lower 48. And if we're just talking salt dome capacity, that's more like 80% of the existing total. Now, pipelines can only do so much in the short run through things like filling with line pack. Eventually, the only solution becomes more underground capacity. So how much new capacity is in the backlog? Well, I checked the EIA website, and I saw a grand total of 48 BCF of working gas that's on the books that wouldn't enter service until 2025 at the earliest. But here's the thing. 
all of that is either planned or on hold. There's no guarantee any of it actually gets built. Now, there are a few other products we know about. One Oak mentioned it's on track to complete expansion of their natural gas storage in Oklahoma in the second quarter of this year, but that will add only four BCF. Trace Palacios is planning on adding a fourth salt cavern that would explain that by six to seven Bs, and we understand that Trace Midstream is looking to add another five to six Bs of its own. Look, no doubt there are a few other smaller projects like that out there, but this is obviously well short of that 400 BCF number. Now, one potential solution would be to reactivate idled working capacity, which EA data show totals approximately 60 BCF. But I don't really know the reason that those fields have been abandoned, so I can't really handicap whether those will or even can be placed back in the service. If it were a matter of economics and a lack of demand for that space, that's one thing. But if there are geological and regulatory concerns at play here, that's quite another. So look, even in this best-case scenario, where we assume all planned storage gets built and all idled storage is returned to service, we're still talking about the need for another 300 or so BCF of incremental capacity. But the more realistic number is probably far closer than a 400 BCF figure. Now, here's the biggest problem. Even with gains in storage rates the last few quarters, they still may not be high enough to justify new build capacity. Kinder Morgan, who as we now know is the leading U.S. storage provider, they certainly think so, and they've made mention of this in their investor relations slides the last few quarters. But things may be changing. We believe the majority of existing storage operators are taking a very close look at expansion opportunities, and Edmund Cannoli, commercial lead of Gulf Coast Mutual Partners, told NGI that while bid-ask spreads may not be market-clearing just yet for some new build capacity, market rates are quickly catching up as demand for flexibility continues to grow at key locations on the pipeline grid. Last October, Gulf Coast announced an open season for a new underground salt facility in Fort Bend County, Texas, called the Freeport Energy Storage and Sequestration Hub, or FRESH. Total working capacity was original 12 BCF, but based on customer interest, Canoli told NGI the total project could end up being between 16 to 25 BCF. Projects like this would certainly help fill the void. Now, the other issue really in terms of getting more storage in place is that it takes time to get the permits and to build the facilities. According to several sources we canvassed, it currently takes roughly two years to secure permits and up to another three to build the facility, depending on the type of course. For example, the leaching process used to create the highly sought-after salt caverns requires a certain amount of time to work its magic. Current U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm has been quite vocal in her support of the natural gas industry, and in April, she sent a letter to FERC in support of the MVP pipeline process, which also speaks to permitting in general. Ecotrans, who is the sponsor of MVP, they believe that permitting reform at a high level has the necessary bipartisan support to keep advancing, and that differences between the political parties can and should be reconciled. Similarly, EQT Corporation thinks permit reform is inevitable. Now look, that's all well and good. But even if this momentum is successful, it will likely be too little too late to help support the next tranche of U.S. natural gas demand. And we certainly don't think that that's gone unnoticed by the market. In fact, it's led to a buying spree of storage, and pipelines in general, I should add, over the last few quarters. And these include deals such as Berkshire Hathaway purchasing Dominion's pipeline and storage assets. 
Angie Transfer buying Enable Midstream, Williams acquiring Mountain West, Nortex, and Sequent, the latter of which we believe is a large holder of storage capacity. Enbridge purchased Aiken Creek in Canada and Trace Palacios in Texas. Golden Triangle is being purchased by a consortium of private investors. There's been the recent sale or last few quarters sale of storage assets to Hartree and Spire. The list goes on and on, and it isn't likely to slow anytime soon in our view. The point being, while there may not be new or much new ample L48 storage coming online, at least in the near term, there is a structural mechanism in place in the form of market-based rates and shorter average contract lengths to allocate that scarce capacity to those parties that desire it most. And given that we expect U.S. gas volatility to remain, or gas price volatility to remain, I should say, and for the ratio of working gas capacity to average demand to continue to decline for the next four to five years at a minimum, we believe the days of U.S. storage being the unexciting and ugly duckling of the midstream industry are over. Growing demand and muted supply increases should support L48 storage rates for the remainder of the decade in our view, and should continue to grab headlines. That's it for today. I know it was a lot, and I could certainly use a drink of water, but we certainly appreciate your sticking with us. For you subscribers out there, we thank you very much. If you don't subscribe and would like more information on our services, please go to our website at www.naturalgasintel.com. On behalf of everyone at Natural Gas Intelligence, I'd like to thank you for your time today, and we wish you health and happiness in the days to come. Until next time, take care, everyone. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or bid-week pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub and Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.